Well, as I said at the beginning, we're going to dive into the book of Jonah. Start a little series on this book, and it's got a lot of odd features. Those odd features are that even though it is placed in the Bible with the minor prophets, it's very different than the other books that are, that are grouped with the prophets. If you look at, say, for example, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, or Amos, or Joel, or any of the other prophets, and you read those books, you'll find that they are mainly written records of those men's prophecies. <clears throat> it's a, a, mainly a record of the sermons they preached, the words that were given to them by the Lord. And so I've been reading through Jeremiah, for example, in my daily Bible reading, and most of it is a record of the word of the Lord that God gave Jeremiah to say to Israel or to Egypt or Moab or, or any of the other nations surrounding. There are a few places in Jeremiah where we find out about his life. For example, he gets thrown into a pit and how he gets out of the pit and it's part of a, the story of it. But the overwhelming majority of the book and the other prophets are just records of the actual prophecies. Jonah, on the other hand, is chiefly the narrative or history of Jonah's call and all the events that happened afterwards. The only words of prophecy recorded in the book of Jonah are, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. It's more like Ruth or Esther than the other prophets. And within the story, we see a, a prophet running away from his call, running away from his duty that he's given by God. And that's unique. There's no other prophet like Jonah in that respect. We see a, a storm being stilled by simply throwing the prophet overboard. We see this runaway prophet being swallowed by a large sea creature and going on a three-day submarine ride and he survives to talk about it. We see the prophet finally preaching with great success once he does go to Nineveh. But instead of being happy that all the people repented, he gets so angry about it that he wants to die. If I preach to a bunch of people and they repent, I would be happy about that. But not Jonah. It's a strange book. And a lot of people look at Jonah and they think, oh, well, that's a kid's kind of a Sunday school book. In fact, someone this morning said, you know, instead of preaching, you should just show a cartoon of Jonah. And that's kind of the way we think about Jonah, isn't it? That it's something for maybe children. It's, a, it's an interesting story. It's a fun story. <clears throat> but it does have modern application, and by God's grace, we'll be drawing that out in the coming weeks. And we pray that the Lord would use Jonah to shape our lives into his image. Well, this morning we're going to look at chapter 1. I've expanded the reading there. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, uh, the most familiar part of the story of Jonah. <clears throat> God's Word says, <clears throat> Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa 
and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. I want to look at two things today from this uh, account we have before us. I want to look at our disobedience and God's persistence. Our disobedience and God's persistence. Verse 1 tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Well, who was Jonah? Well, all we know of Jonah is from two sources. First, we have re- what we have recorded here in the book of Jonah. And then second, there's one reference in 2 Kings 14, where it tells us about the reign of Jeroboam II. He was a a king of the northern kingdom of Israel after the nation of Israel was divided to Judah and Israel. He was an evil king, but he was a successful king. He was successful in expanding the borders of Israel. He was successful in recapturing some land that had been lost in battle. And it tells us there in 2 Kings 14 that this expansion was according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. So through Jonah's ministry, the northern kingdom was encouraged and subsequently successful in spite of the fact that The king at the time was a very wicked king. And I'm sure Jonah felt great about that. 
He was making a contribution to his homeland. The northern kingdom was flourishing as he preached there. But what is the word from the Lord that Jonah receives here? Arise, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah's prophecies mentioned in 2 Kings had encouraged Israel into a period of victory and prosperity. But in the book of Jonah, we find the prophet being called to go minister to the people of Nineveh, not to the people of Israel. Jonah is called not to the people of God, but to the enemies of God. Nineveh was the chief city of the Assyrians. Sometimes it was the capital. It was in modern-day Iraq. Um, Perhaps you've heard the city of Mosul in Iraq from the Iraq War. Well, Nineveh was just across the Tigris River from present-day Mosul. It's about 500 miles from, from Israel. And the Assyrians who lived there were enemies of Israel. In fact, in about 100 years or so, the Assyrians are going to come and conquer the northern kingdom and send them into exile. The Assyrians were not only enemies, but they were nasty, mean, cruel enemies. Their goal was to plunder conquered lands and then exact payments to the Assyrian king. Once they took a city, they often raped, tortured, mutilated, and butchered the inhabitants. They ruled conquered peoples by brute force and terror. They imposed their god, Asher, on all their conquered lands. And to make conquered peoples pay tribute, they kept them in constant fear of invasion. If a city resisted in any way, the Assyrians attacked savagely, butchered the men, raped and butchered the women, burned the children alive, flayed people, beheaded masses of people, and built towers outside the city gates with their heads. They would impale people. They were cruel, vicious people. And Jonah was commanded by God to get up, travel 500 miles to the northeast, to Nineveh, and warn the people living there of the impending judgment of God on them because of their evil. But as verse 3 tells us, instead of going north and east, Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to the port, Joppa, and he found a ship to Tarshish. Now, we don't know the location of Tarshish. It's a very kind of a common name, Uh, It's a port name, and it's got some reference to the sea there. There's four options, uh, if you look at all the commentaries. And they're all out, you know, in the Mediterranean. One is as far as Spain. So Jonah was going in the opposite direction. And and you you could also take the word Tarshish to mean just the open sea. So wherever Jonah was headed, he wasn't headed to Nineveh. It was, in fact, the opposite direction. You know, Nineveh is who are here. Jonah went that way. Well, we know that even if he just went to the open sea, even Joppa was to the west. 
It's about 25 miles north of present-day Tel Aviv on the western coast of Israel. So Jonah was ignoring and disobeying God's word to him and fleeing from his presence. It tells us several times here in chapter 1. He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But, you know, you can try to flee from the presence of the Lord, but it is impossible to successfully flee from the presence of the Lord. King David celebrates this fact in Psalm 139. Well-known passage, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I'm certain that Jonah knew as a prophet of the Lord, well-versed in listening to God and knowing God, and he actually says to the other mariners that he feared the Lord. I'm sure he knew he could not successfully flee from the presence of the Lord. And he had likely sung Psalm 139. The Psalms, of course, were used in worship. But one thing to keep in mind as we consider this, how do we have the story of Jonah? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, how do we have the story of Jonah? The only way we have the story of Jonah was that Jonah himself willingly shared it. To use use a word we like to use in in our modern-day parlance in church, he was transparent. You know, he shared his story with us, with all of its sin. You know, he, he tells us how he ran from the presence of the Lord. And if you're familiar with his story, his attitude gets worse. I mean, he's really got a bad attitude at the end. And, and you don't see that getting resolved even in the book. So Jonah lays his life out there for all to see with all of its warts. And I'm sure he wants us to learn from his sin. And that's why he's sharing that with us. Because we're all like Jonah here. We all flee from the presence of the Lord when we do not willingly obey his commands. We want, when we disobey God, we want God to be confined to narrow limits. We, we want to put him in a box so we can pull him out whenever it suits us. We want to have the power over him. We do not want him to have total power over us. See, disobedience to God is, is our way of, of seeking to take away God's power over us and of removing him from his throne. See, I'm sure that Jonah loved it when he could prophesy in Israel and he could see the prosperity and success of the people of God there. I'm sure that thrilled his soul that God did that. He liked for God to rule in that way. That's the God he wants ruling and reigning. But a God who would warn these evil Assyrians of judgment and give them a chance to repent? Well, Jonah didn't want that God. Jonah just tried to put that God back in a box and put him in the back of the closet. Well, how do we do the same thing today? 
Well, you know, sometimes we say no to God. How are you saying no to God today? How are you saying, Lord, I'll do this, this, and this, but I'm not going to do that? Is God calling you to do something? Are you running from Him? Are you ignoring Him and His call? Well, God calls us all to repentance and faith. He calls us all to be His disciples, His followers. He calls us to be witnesses. He calls us to love one another. And if you're a follower of His, He has called you to use your gifts, your abilities, in His service to build up the church. How is God calling you vocationally? And are you heeding His call? Or how are you running from His call? These are things to think about as we contemplate Jonah. How, how are we putting God in a box where we, we, we like for God to do certain things in our lives, but not over here in this area, Lord? See, we're running from his presence. We don't want his presence in that part of our lives, only in these parts of our lives. That's what Jonah was doing. So we see in Jonah's disobedience our own disobedience. But we also see that God is a persistent God. Just look at uh, chapter 1. Okay, you see a, see a little back and forth here. It says, first of all, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God speaks to Jonah. Then verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And of course they... They were uh, afraid. But Jonah, verse 5, had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And then verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah gets the word of the Lord. Jonah flees away. Jonah hides down into the ship. God continues to pursue him, pursue him, pursue him. And then finally he's thrown into the sea and, and the Lord appoints a sea creature to swallow up Jonah. Well, this persistence with Jonah reminds me of a couple of things. First, it reminds me of the Apostle Paul. When Paul relates his conversion, he does so three times in the book of Acts. But the last time, when he's before uh, king and queen there and uh, he's been arrested, and he's sharing his story there in, ver in chapter 26. He says, uh, in, in, uh, I heard a voice. He's talking about how the you know, great light came. He fell down, was blinded. And, he, and, he, and I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It is hard for you to kick against the goads, the Lord says to him. Now, a goad is a sharp stick that had a, maybe a metal point. Um, it was like a cattle prod that we would use today to move the livestock along, to keep them moving. It was a goad, a, a prod. So Paul is saying here in his testimony that apparently, you know, he was being prodded by Christ. Before 
the Damascus Road experience. And we only know a little bit of his life before. We just know that he was a persecutor of the church, that he was even there when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr. Uh, we, we know some of his background from what he says in Philippians, that he was a Pharisee and he trained under one of the great rabbis of the day. So what Paul is affirming here is that Christ, this kicking against the prods of Christ, Christ was prodding him along. He was seeking him out. He was persistently goading him, but yet Paul was kicking against that. You shouldn't kick against a sharp stick. It's not won't be healthy. And that's what it says here. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now that word hard does not mean difficult, but means hardening. It, 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 it's a word that means to dry out and become hard. So as Paul resisted Christ, as he kicked against the goads, he was becoming hardened. So hardened that he went out and persecuted the church, put people to death, threw them in prison. We don't know what these proddings of Christ were. Maybe it was the preaching of the apostles or the preaching and testimony of the martyr Stephen. But we know that he was present there. But whatever it was, Paul was resisting it. But he could not ultimately resist Christ. Christ converted that hardened, violent, extreme enemy of Christ. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now that word, draw, is another interesting word. It's not a word that means to woo, but rather it's a word that means to pull, to drag. Uh, it's, it's more like drawing water out of a well. You know, you drop the bucket in and you pull, you draw the water out, you drag it out. So you could say, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me drags him or pulls him. And I'm sure there are many of you who can testify to that, that the Lord was pulling at you, pulling at you, and you were resisting that. And you finally gave in. So that reminds me of that. Jonah was being pulled and prodded, and he was kicking against the goads like the Apostle Paul. And we can do the same when we persist in our disobedience against the Lord and against his call upon our lives. Well, the second thing it reminds me of, this back and forth, is Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. God was being merciful to Jonah when he kicked up a life-threatening storm. 
when he got Jonah thrown overboard. You know, they were really trying hard not to throw him overboard. They were trying to get to dry land and even were reluctant to do so. And they, the mariners prayed, right? They prayed, Lord, please don't hold it against us that we're throwing this man overboard. And then, even when he got swallowed by the great sea creature, he was, God was being merciful to him. And Jonah will affirm that in chapter 2. But at some point, Jonah got the message. Because, like I said before, he willingly shared it with us. He says, look at me. Look at my sin. Don't do the same as me. See, the Lord wanted to use Jonah, desired to bless Jonah. The Lord desires to save you and use you. And when we say yes, yeah, it might take us to places we never wanted to go. And we might be asked to do things that we don't want to do. But we must remember that it is our loving Heavenly Father who is asking us. His purposes for us are always for our good, for the good of his children. Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust that he knows best? Will you trust that whatever he's commanding us to do, that obedience is, a, is our best course, even when we can't see that? Maybe the Lord's calling you to a ministry. And you think, well, I can't do that. Well, can't you? The Lord will equip you. The Lord wants to use you. The Lord wants to bless you in ways that you could not even imagine. The Gospel Transformation Bible, Brian Chappell uh, wrote the study notes on that. Um, he, he makes this wonderful comment about Jonah 1, 1 to 3. When God calls us to something new, he is always up to something good. However difficult the call may be, it is one of grace, and it is for our ultimate joy. Reflect for a moment on the contrast between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah was in a good place, doing good work, enjoying a good life, then God said, Jonah, I want you to go to another place and do a different work for the sake of people I love, people who are facing an imminent judgment. Jonah said no. Jesus was in heaven, ruling the universe by the word of his power, adored by angels. He was in the best place, doing the best work, and enjoying the best life. Then the Father said, go to another place, where you will be utterly rejected. You will live a life that will lead to torture, crucifixion, and death. You will become an atoning sacrifice for people I love who are facing an eternal judgment. Jesus said yes. Recognizing that Jesus did all this on our behalf moves us from being the kind of people who care about our own comfort, reputation, and success to caring more about the people all around us whom we are called to love and serve. Love much, 
we are freed to love much. Let's all say yes to the Lord, to whatever he has for us. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, forgive us for our desire to put you in a box, to limit your access to our life. Lord, sometimes we don't want your presence with us all the time, only when it's helpful and convenient for us. Forgive us for where we have resisted your call. Give us grace to say yes to you. Lord, we all struggle with certain sins. Help us, Lord, to say no to sin and yes to you, to be obedient to your word and to your ways for us. And Lord, I especially pray for those who have never said yes to you, who, who are running from you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to pursue. I pray that you would soften hearts. Lord, by your grace, help them say yes to you. And Lord, we pray that we would be the kind of people on mission. Uh, who, who have experienced your grace and your mercy and who are ready to serve others and to serve you. Lord, we pray that you would work this into our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.